Hey, what's going on, you crazy Floridians? So glad to have you with us on another edition of Florida's Fourth Estate. We get Ginger Gadsden back this week. How's it going, Gigi? Uh, I'm doing really well. It's so great to see you. I missed you guys last week. I was on vacation with most of my family. I had a nephew who got married in Charleston. One of the most beautiful socially distanced wedding I've ever attended. Actually, the only one. <laughs> never attended. I was going to say, you're cheating. This is the most beautiful socially distant wedding I've ever been to. That's a good way to qualify it. <laughs> so people think that oh it is the gosh. most beautiful But I'm wedding. happy to be back. I'm happy to be back. Why did you match me today? What is going on? What, are we synced up or what? How do you look just like me? I think we know that you have a camera planted in my home. I think we've discussed this many times I actually before. do, but it's, it's connected to your computer. So... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know it's a coincidence, but I, I like it. Happens. We look good. We look like we planned this out today, but we have a fantastic guest today, a guest with a famous last name, a very interesting story to tell us and something that is very relevant to this time right now, Gigi. Yeah. And we've been talking to him, you know, before we get started, we always chat with the guests before air to kind of like lay out the ground rules or whatever. I feel like I just talking to him for 10 minutes, like I know him. And like, I yep. want to be his friend. We're talking about James Wahlberg. We're gonna, do you want to be called James or Jim? Is it Jim, yeah, right? Jim is fine. Gigi. Jim, okay. Yeah, you call me Gigi. <laughs> I said Matt could not call me Gigi. It is so nice to see you. And I close my eyes and I hear every member of your family speaking at the same time. And it is a beautiful thing. And, you know, so I said we wanted to address the elephant in the room because I didn't want to, I didn't think you wanted to talk about your famous last name. And you're like, they're a part of who I am. Tell us how you're related to the Wahlberg family. So I'm the fifth of nine Wahlberg siblings. So Mark <laughs> and Donnie are my youngest brothers. Um, and um, yeah. Okay. It's that simple. Yeah. 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 That's it. Oh, that's, I like it. I, and I love that. I knew you had a large family. And, you know, we talked about family sizes. I love that. So we already have that special connection anyway. Mm -hmm. Ginger gets All very competitive with family sizes. If you have a lot of people, she will be sure to tell you <laughs> real quick that she's. Yeah. Siblings. <laughs> uh, it's not a competition, trust me. But anyway, but it's so great to have you here today to talk about something that people really don't want to talk about. And we're talking about people who really struggle with addiction right now, especially during this pandemic. And I mentioned to you before we went on air, I read an article and it called it the pandemic within the pandemic. Tell us a little bit about how you're familiar with these struggles. So I'm a person in, in long-term recovery. I got clean and sober in Massachusetts State Prison back in 1988. And so for the last probably 10 years, I've been making films about addiction and educating young people. Uh, this epidemic started to explode and uh, I kind of felt guilty, right? That I knew people that were losing family members and I felt like, you know, I had been blessed with recovery and that I needed to do more, whatever that was. So I started out and made a film. And the film's goal was just to start a conversation between children and anybody with sort of any uh, influence over children. And uh, I made the film and we did the premiere of it. 2,000 people showed up. Mm -hmm. And uh, people were eager and desperate to have this conversation. Actually, in that film... Uh, we had 250 people in the most difficult scene in the film who had lost their children. They were in the film. We shot a funeral scene. 
and they all showed up dressed for a funeral. And uh, I really think it was that moment that, you know, I thought I was going to just make a movie and go back to my day job and back to my production company. And I was not going to be this many years later still talking about this epidemic, still educating children, um, writing a book. Like, I'm just, it, it has become um, all-encompassing. You know, it's like I felt like as I started to think I was just going to walk away and go back to my job, I felt really guilty. I started to look at and see the faces of those 250 parents that lost their children. And I said, I got to do more. And so I literally, as simple as this, I, I prayed, right? I said, God, I don't know what you want from me, but I'm just going to say yes, right? <laughs> and here we are all these years later, and, and I'm still in the thick of things. And things are unfortunately worse than ever. Yeah. yeah. yeah and really the, the name of the book is called The Big Hustle. And you essentially say that's because you were basically hustled into recovery. You didn't know what you were saying yes to. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I started going to um, uh, self-help or 12-step meetings in prison and people were coming in and they were carrying a message of hope and they were telling us about how they had gotten through all these difficulties. And I thought, what an amazing program for them. But ultimately, I didn't feel worthy of it, right? That my, was my difficulties. I didn't feel worthy of what they were talking about. And then, uh, and then I met the priest inside the prison, and, uh, and he conned me into taking a job in the chapel, right? And I'm thinking I'm going to con him. Ultimately, he brings me back to church and, and soon after introduces me to Mother Teresa. She came to the prison I was in. And so, you know... It doesn't really get any bigger than that, right? Like Mother Teresa came to get me. Right? <laughs> she came just for you. We're going. <laughs> yeah. And when I looked at her, I, I want to be honest with you. When I looked at her, I really thought I was looking at the face of God in that moment, mm -hmm. right? And when I think about that time, um, I feel like she was there specifically for me, right? From that moment, everything in my life changed doesn't mean that I became perfect or I became all those things, right? But I knew that uh, that God was going to be the central part of my journey, whatever that was. And, uh, you know, from that time until this time, I haven't found it necessary to pick up a drink or a drug, you know? Wow. Um, that doesn't mean I haven't struggled in my life because life is a struggle, right? But I have lived, for the most part, a life of service which is where I find my joy. And I need to be joyful, right? We have a lot of fun in the pre-conversation, right? What good is it to, to, have, to turn your life around and not be happy and not be joyful about it? And the joy for me comes in service. Yeah, awesome. And I, hey, I wanna say hello to everybody who's joining us in the chat. We've got Facebook chat. Dustin, I think he's relating to you a little bit. He says, LOL, hustled into recovery. I could say the same. Thank God. Thanks for joining us today uh, there, Dustin. We've got Maureen joining us saying, hey, guys, and Natalie Watts from Mount Dora. So we're excited to have you on. Thank you for telling your story. I can't believe Mother Teresa mm -hmm. uh, made an appearance in the show My today. Gosh. That's fantastic. Um, <laughs> but I do want to ask you, so, so let's get to today. Let's get to COVID-19. This is sort of a recipe for disaster for anyone who's maybe in recovery or trying to get into recovery. Can you just explain to us what you're seeing? By the way, uh, this is a Florida-centric show. Jim is down in Fort Lauderdale. That's where he's based out of. So, Jim, uh, 
What are you seeing when it comes to folks who are trying to recover while being locked away and quarantined in their houses? Well, I mean, here's the thing is recovery is connection. It's love, it's friendship. And, um, and addiction is the exact opposite. It's isolation, it's loneliness, it's depression. And we've sort of been forced into a depressive state, if you will, right? We are, we're being told that we have to isolate from people. You know, one of the things that has always helped me in recovery is that, that human connection, right? You look at somebody, you smile, right? And there's a little connection there, right? Now I have to put a mask on so you can't even see my smile. And it took forever for me to be able to get that smile to my face, right? That's the way we connect with other human beings. And when people that suffer from addiction or substance use disorder or whatever people want to call it, and, and I don't have a problem with people calling it whatever they want, uh, or mental illness, is that um, we're, we're a little fragile, right? We're super sensitive, and, super sensitive and emotional is a way a really good friend of mine put it many years ago for me. And so... We need that human connection. We need that interaction with people. And uh, I, I do want to say this. I want to suggest to everybody that's watching or listening to this that if you know somebody who has a problem with their mental health or a problem with addiction or substance use disorder, um, why don't you give them a call and say hi? Tell them that you love them. Tell them how important their recovery is to you, right? Because recovery affects everybody. We were talking about family. I have, I have lots of siblings who have spouses and children. And so I'm a brother today. I'm a husband today. I'm a father today. I'm, a, I'm an uncle. I'm a son to my mother, right? Mm -hmm. I'm a responsible person. So my recovery is very important to all those people because they get to enjoy that. And I get to enjoy them. And we, and we have a very real bond and a very real love. So... We need to reach out to people. We need to encourage people. And unfortunately, the only way we're going to really be able to do that right now is like this, right? Mm -hmm. So pick up the phone, call somebody. And if you're new in recovery, I want to encourage you to do the same. Call somebody. So the, see, the best way for me to get out of my own way, the best way for me to forget about my own difficulties is to serve others, right? It's amazing how I forget about myself when I'm trying to be of use to somebody else. And that's what I need to do because, you know, it's a funny thing, I ain't much, but sometimes I'm all I think about, right? <laughs> and that's not good for me, right? I need to be thinking of others. I need to be putting others first. Yeah, puts Man, you struck a nerve with that last one. That's that's the truth because we're so we are so isolated from other people right now mm -hmm. that we are all we think about, and you can mm -hmm. see it on social media all the time. Everybody, I call it eye disease. It's like mm -hmm. I this and I that, and it's like come, <laughs> come I on. Tell you something. My wife, I've been I've been married for it'd be twenty five years in two weeks, right? Oh, congratulations. Uh, that's her thing. She knows me better than anybody else. If we're at some sort of a gathering, which we're not doing much of now, but, and she hears me saying I, she'll walk by and she'll go, ay, ay, ay. Just like that. She's encouraging me. Listen, don't talk. Listen. You know, as men, sometimes we, when we talk to other people, it's like, uh, it's like a verbal jump rope. 
we're not really listening. We're just waiting to jump back in and say something really witty or important or that. Waiting for your look. turn. Waiting for your turn. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's, well, I mean, I think that's life. awesome that's that you can do. say that and that you recognize that. But help people who might be at this moment very alone and in a dark place. And they don't have a Mother Teresa. They don't have that, you know, that priest in prison who they can talk to. They only and they may be very alone and just deeply saddened and in a dark place. What would you say to them? What is that first step, Jim? Well, I think the first step is admitting that there's a problem, right? That's the number one first step, right? Is that I have a problem and that, and what am I going to do about it, right? And definitely that, I think the most important thing you can do is reach out to another human being, whoever that human being is. Now, you can go online. We spend all day long. I, I made the mistake of looking at screen time on my phone the other day. <laughs> and I'm embarrassed to say how many hours of my life I spend on the phone, right? It's embarrassing, right? Mm -hmm. So use the phone as a tool. Google, I need help. I have a substance abuse problem. I have a mental health problem. And you'll get numbers, right? And forget about calling the one on the top of the list because they, they just paid the most to be there, right? <laughs> Scroll down a little bit, pick up the phone. The 12-step programs, right, you can call them, right? And they will connect you with another human being that is in recovery, that can speak to you on the phone, right? And their job is not to find you a treatment center or do anything else. It will be to talk to you and to listen to you and make some suggestions to you of places that you can try to get some help. Um, and you know, but it all starts with picking up that phone and for, and for many people that suffer from addiction, that phone weighs 10,000 pounds. People that have mm. mental illness, that phone is so heavy. It's not heavy to go on Instagram and see who's wearing what and who's doing what we can do that all day long because nobody's looking back at us. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's so it's, the phone is so heavy for somebody suffering, but we need to pick up the phone because that's the only tool we have right now. Yeah. And yeah. let me tell you that there are 12 step meetings online. I can go to a meeting in France. I can, I have a meeting that we, that we go to on Saturdays. I got a guy from Liberia, Africa coming to that meeting. I got a guy from San Francisco mm -hmm. coming to that meeting. Like we got people from all over the world and we only have this common bond, right? And we come there and we lift each other up and we talk through our difficulties. And, you know, me talking to another human being about my difficulties really starts to cut those difficulties in pieces, right? Once I unload it, because so much of what we go through and what I go through is that, that I think I suffer from terminal uniqueness, that it's just me. Nobody else is having these problems or nobody else, um, you know, whatever it is. And, uh, and so once we realize that that's not the case, that there are many people out there in the same situation, uh, I think that helps a lot. Yeah, I like that yeah. term, terminal uniqueness. That's very interesting. <laughs> uh, another problem- I just wrote that down. I did, I, I did too. Well, another problem we're seeing, uh, Jim, with this whole situation, not only there's the isolation, but I feel like jobs often keep a lot of people sober. Mm -hmm. You know, you kind of have to stay sober five days a week. Now, particularly in Florida, folks who are in the tourism industry, they have lost their jobs. And now 
not only are they isolated, but they don't have that five-day-a-week reprieve from any temptation and that thing that kind of keeps them straight. Right. Have you seen that too? Right. Absolutely. And, and, and think about this too, right? So essential businesses mm -hmm. were kept open. Do you know that liquor stores were considered essential businesses and that liquor stores were open the entire COVID? They were packed too. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Right. And the thing is, is that many of those people were medicating themselves. Mm. Right. Because you're right. We are we are. There's so many contributing factors to people being depressed and unhappy and sad and afraid. Right. Because think about it. Uh, the renter probably will not be able to pay his rent or her rent because they lost their job. The person renting the place to them, right, is also losing that that money, that income. And maybe it's just, you know, many people, just regular everyday people save money and they say, I'm going to I'm going to try to get somewhere in life and I'm going to buy some rental properties and right. Or I'm going to buy a house with multiple apartments. I'm going to live in one and rent the others out. Right. And to try to, you know, have some material things in their life. Right. Mm -hmm. now, plan for their future. And now it affects everybody, everybody. Right. And so, um, yeah, I think that in terms of that, they, they talk about the numbers of suicides and attempted suicides during this pandemic have been astronomical. Right. People are are struggling like never before. And so, you know, the thing about being of service for me, it's not just about being of service to people mm -hmm. that are suffering from addiction or mental illness. It's about being a service to everybody, right? It's our neighbors, our friends, our elderly, right? We have to be kind to people. We have to reach out to people. We, you know, if you know anybody that's struggling, that's alone during this time, especially, right? Reach out to them. The other thing we're seeing is we're going to see an, an, an absolute skyrocket in the number of divorces. Right? Oh, that's already yeah. started. People are, they're going, they, they're like, it's out of control. And so, um, you know, I want to say that for me, for my family, we've been blessed that we, we, because I think a lot of what we do together, we pray together and, and we, um, this has been in that kind of an experience. It's been the exact opposite. We've been brought closer and I've, and I've talked to a lot of people that have also had that experience because I travel endlessly and I haven't gone anywhere. So I've been home with my family playing Uno with like my adult children. I haven't done that since they were little kids, right? So I think it's, you know, it, it's, it's this, this situation is different for everybody, but right now we really need to focus on our, on our, our people that are suffering, whoever they are. They don't have to be your family. They don't even have to be your friends. They're human beings, yeah. right? Yeah. We need to serve each other. We need to take care of each other. We need to lift each other up. And part of that too, Jim, is just taking away the stigma of shame, of asking for help. People are embarrassed mm -hmm. that they, you know, not just need help with a, a, their problem with addiction, but now I need help because I can't feed my family. Now I need help because I can't, you know, some men may feel less than, some women may feel less than. How do we make them know that it's okay to just reach out and ask for help? That's, you know, people want to help. Gigi, that is such a great question. So for me, when I look back on my childhood, a definite contributing factor to my difficulties in life was the fact that 
we were poor, right? But my dad got fortunate and got enough money to make a down payment on a house in a decent neighborhood, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so, but we were on food stamps and we would go to the store. I would go to the store and I would have to wait outside the store until the young people that worked behind the counter weren't there until the old guy was there because I wasn't embarrassed with him, right? It, it's, it's tough, but listen, my dad worked every day of his life. Yeah. Right? He worked every day of his life. We needed help. We needed assistance. That's what, you know, when you do work and they take all that money out of your paycheck, that's what mm-hmm. it's for. Right? So keep your head up. Right? We, we, sometimes we all need help. We're in, this is unprecedented times. Unprecedented times. Right? Cheesy, you okay? No, well, you you know, I'm sorry. I'm an emotional person, and you just made me think of my own dad, who had to take care of 15 kids and found mm-hmm. a way to do it, and couldn't be embarrassed about certain jobs that he took because he, you know, we just we needed what we needed. And yeah. so to hear you have that, look at us. We're from totally different places, right? I'm from South Carolina. You're from Boston. We're from totally different places, but we have that in common. Seeing mm-hmm. that. You know, and that I have tremendous, my dad's been gone for years now, but he is the strongest and smartest man I will ever know in my lifetime mm-hmm. um, it, because of, you know, how I saw him model never complaining and just doing the work and not being ashamed to like do what was necessary to take care of his family. I'm sorry. I didn't even know you could it's see me. Up listen, like- <laughs> it's quite all right. And, and you know what? I, I, I feel that. Right. And, and, you know, as men, right, we're sort of taught that you know, we have to take care of everything. We have to be strong. We have to provide, we have to do all these things. Right. And, um, yeah, this, there's more to, there's more to being a man than all of those things. Those are important things. And both men and women have to do those jobs. Right. But we also have to be loving and kind and respectful and we have to point people in the right direction. And sometimes we have to be humble. Right. Sometimes we have to be humble because it, it's you eating was always more important to your dad than him being able to put his shoulders out and say, you know, look at me. Right. It was mm-hmm. always the most important thing. Yep. And that was the most important thing in my house was mm-hmm. that there had to be food on the table and there had to be a roof over our head. And for me in my fragility. Right. There were other things that weren't able to be there, like the amount of attention that I needed, mm-hmm. right? And so I wasn't a strong person that I could I could handle that. So I went out looking for it, that attention in all the wrong places. Yeah. So as a man, we need to know when we need help. And we need to know that it's okay to ask for help and and that there are more important things in yeah. life than me being able to be the man. <laughs> Puff your chest out. I like your you man voice. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> I need, I need, I need to, I need to show, I need to teach my children how to love, mm-hmm. right? I need to teach my children uh, how to care for others, how to be a service, right? And I can say that I'm, I'm very proud of all of my three children because they're all. Mm, that's huge. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. I mean, raising good kids is no coincidence, no accident. Yeah, and the only I mean, way you can. Listen, I didn't say they were good kids. 
<laughs> yeah. So you're doing you're doing well. The only way to show kids love and to teach them how to love is to do it yourself. That's that is what I feel like. I've got three kids as well. Okay, so all right, we're getting up there in time. I do want to ask you. We've had a pretty heavy show. There have been laughs. There have been tears. I want to ask you one thing about your family. All right, give me like an embarrassing story about Mark Wahlberg that maybe people have never heard before. Uh, that he would just be Don't so mad at you Don't for telling it. on this podcast. Well, it's not an, it's not an, I'll tell you a story. It's not embarrassing. It's not embarrassing to him. It was embarrassing to me. <laughs> it was somewhere, and obviously we've been living many months. So this is this is a, a, a recent story. We were we were talking via FaceTime, and you know FaceTime is not always uh, honest with the way you look like right now I have a shirt on, but I can bet you I have a pair of shorts on (laughs) and flip flops on. Right. And so he was walking around, he was packing or doing something. And I said, well, buddy, you're looking a little, you're looking a little pudgy in the middle there. (laughs) Right. And he goes, he walked right up to the camera because it was like leaning on something and he lifted up his shirt and it was a total washboard rip, (laughs) almost 50 years old. And he goes, really? He goes, I don't think so, buddy. And I was like, and it wasn't embarrassing to him. It was embarrassing to me because <laughs> under my shirt is pudgy. <laughs> under my shirt is pudgy. Ginger's so, next question um, is, do you have a screenshot of this? <laughs> Can you prove that? Can you? No, 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 I didn't take the screen. It was too embarrassing. I didn't want to have a Oh my God, that's great! That's an awesome story. Good and, stuff. And, and, but at least you're wearing pants. I want to. I want to say something that you know, um, as important as it as it is for for me to be out here talking about these issues and sharing my my personal journey. Um, it's critical to have folks like you talking about these issues, right? Because this helps to chip away at the stigma and the shame, right? Because we can openly have these conversations. And so I wanna thank you guys, really. Um, it's so important. And Gigi, yes. get my number. Let's hang out. I like oh my, I, you. I was, the, I was like, I want to meet him. And when yeah, this pandemic is over, I'm gonna squeeze you. I'll take you for a ride in the RV. No, listen. It's three hours from here. I'll go Don't there. you threaten me with a good time, hey, my friend. I'll bring it up there. I'm going to St. Augustine next weekend. Maybe we'll cut through Orlando and then go up four. I like you how know, I'm not even on this podcast. He's like, hey, Gigi, give me your number. Let's hang out. I'm like, yeah, there's nobody else here, Jim. Come on, man. What's the other guy's name, Gigi? Do we care right now? No. Oh, gosh. I'm just going to cut myself out of this. Uh, hey, show us the book. Show us the book, Jim. Let's talk about a little hustling real quick. So this is the book. And so I want to tell you that um, writing this book, there's a back cover, right? Mm. That's a picture. You're a baby. Of me in a very, very difficult time. I'm a very young man there. Right. Just a I look at the pictures in this book and uh, and they bring back a lot of memories. That's me graduating from the fifth grade. That's the last time I graduated from uh, any from any grade, any school. I went to the seventh grade and 
you know, I found, uh, I found substances at a very early age and they, and I thought they were giving me what I needed. They, they gave me comfort and, um, but they turned on me almost odd, almost immediately. And, uh, and as a result, um, I suffered quite a bit and my family suffered quite a bit. And the shame that you talk about, Gigi, they suffered that shame too, right? Because when anything happened in my neighborhood, right? And I, whenever I was gone running away from home, uh, I wasn't never very far. I was always a mile or two away from home at the corner with my friends. Um, when I was doing the things that I was doing, um, they always knew about it, mm. right? So um, there were many times that I brought them shame and embarrassment. And, um, and it just, uh, it's beautiful that I don't have to live like that anymore and that they can be proud of their brother, right? And, uh, and they know that uh, what I do with my life now, right? That it's mm -hmm. not, that I'm out there on the front lines trying to be of service and trying to, trying to educate people and, um, yeah, it's 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 awesome to have their love, which I I'm sure I always had because it's kind of a law, right? Your your family, right? You have to, yeah. But more importantly, to have their respect, right, and to have their trust is uh, is beautiful, right? It is beautiful. It's beautiful to get a call. I was texting with my brother Donnie yesterday, who's reading the book, and. Um, it was, it's an emotional, it's emotional for them to read this book, right? Because they thought they knew, but they didn't really know, right? And I'm pretty open in this book because I think it's important to be open and to share what I was able to overcome with the help of God and the help of people that, of other people of service, because that's really what it was. People reached their hand out to me in spite of the fact that I might bite one of their fingers off. And they still reached their hand out to me and they still tried to uh, carry a message of hope to me. And so I'm, I'm eternally grateful for that. Uh, it's a quick read. It's fun. This It's not all heavy. There's some funny stuff in here. Um, but yeah. And also, the foreword is written by a dear friend of mine, Jim Caviezel. Jim Caviezel. Caviezel, Caviezel played Jesus. He played Jesus. I was. <laughs> I, when I met Jim Caviezel, I went. I met him in Las Vegas, and we. I was going to mass that afternoon, and I invited some people, and uh, they passed. They thought it was funny that I was in Vegas for the fights, but I was going to church. And so a little while later, one of them texted me and said, "My friend Jim wants to go to mass with you." And I said, "Jim who?" He said, "Jim Caviezel," and I called my wife, who I've been trying to impress for thirty years, right? <laughs> I called her from the White House. She wasn't impressed, right? <laughs> I called her and I said, honey, I'm going to mass with Jesus. And finally, she was impressed, right? Um, but, yeah, um, he, he, when Jim read the book, um, you know, when you ask somebody, hey, will you do me a favor? Sometimes there's a little pressure involved or whatever, right? People don't want to disappoint. But he, he kept calling me while reading the book. Mm. And he, and he was emotional, right, about it. And he said something to me. He said, Jim, we've been friends for a long time. I want to apologize to you for not being more sensitive to what you've been through. And I was like, Jim, like, 
how would you know? Like, oh, you know, and he's like, well, even just like as simple as having a beer when we're at dinner, right? Like, I feel like that's not, and I'm like, please, you're, nobody else who's drinking is my business unless they make it my business, right? If they need help, then it's my business, right? I have a problem with substances, but I only have a problem with them if I pick them up. Other than that, then it's none of my business unless you need my help. Well, wow. um, well, you know, yeah, I'm it, that's it, what a powerful, powerful story. And I'm so glad that you are here to tell your own story because nobody can tell that story better than you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad I'm, I'm here to tell my own story, too, Gigi, because too many people's stories are being told after the fact. Right. Yeah. I know thousands of families that have lost loved ones across the country. And uh, yeah. That means every Christmas, every Easter, every holiday, every family event, there's an empty chair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Uh, well, hey, thank you for mm-hmm. telling us about going to Mass with Jesus and Mother Teresa saving your life. This has definitely been an original. <laughs> Florida's, nobody's going to ever be able to top this on Florida's Fourth Estate. Jim Wahlberg, you thank you so much. Check out the book. It's called The Big Hustle. It's very interesting. Ginger Gads. I mean, I guess you guys are going to see each other a lot after this, but it was nice. Yeah, nice yeah knowing you, I hope so. I hope we'll so. See each other next week. <laughs> <laughs> this, you've been delightful, honestly. I did not know what to expect today, which is all every week, but this is, uh, thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you, Gigi and Matt. Thank you so much. Uh, you guys be well, all right? Of course, my friend. Have a great week. Thank you for watching Florida's Fourth Estate. Have an awesome day. Bye.